Attention travelers. Next Tuesday, a major power outage will cause complete chaos throughout the city. Water, phone, and internet service will be in short supply. There will likely be panic citywide. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Disasters don't plan ahead. You can. Talk to your loved ones about how you're going to be ready in an emergency. Don't wait. Communicate. Wouldn't that be nice? Next Tuesday, this is what's going to happen. So last week we saw one about an earthquake. And if you remember, they said, oh, that, that just doesn't work for me. I can do Wednesday. I just can't do Tuesday. And, and this one was about a power outage and the chaos that would ensue. We're in the middle of a brand new series. I say in the middle of it. We're launching a brand new series today, planning for trouble, for emergencies, for crisis, because uh, catastrophes don't plan ahead, but we can. Uh, kids, I hope that um, you've got your fill-in-the-blank sheets, and uh, if you fall, fill those out, bring them up to me at the end of the service. Uh, we've got a gift for you, a little prize. Um, hopefully you'll learn something today. So if you'll open your Bibles to Numbers 13, we're going to look there in uh, just a moment. Numbers uh, 13, verse 25 is where we're going to look. So in this series, we're going to have four parts. Uh, One is called Planning for Faith. Another is Planning for Thanksgiving. Another one is Planning for Victory. And lastly is Planning for Holiness. And you're going to get the context of that as we unpack this over the coming four weeks. But uh, in in a real sense, all four of these messages are how we plan for trouble that is going to come in this life that you've already seen, you've already tasted of it, and... Uh, It's kind of like that old saying, it says, you know, don't grow up, it's a trap. Uh, Sometimes it feels like, wow, life gets hard. They didn't put that on the warning label when I started living this life. Uh, But there's a way we can plan for it and prepare for it. The problem is, is that the way we plan and prepare often, not so good. And so I'm going to give you two stories about that. And uh, this may help you to get an idea of where we're going with this message of planning for faith. So the story is told, I, I don't think either one of these stories is true, by the way. I think somebody just made them up. But anyway, the story is told of these two twins. These two twins. And the the two twins, one was just completely a pessimist about everything. Uh, It wasn't even that the uh, cup was half empty. It was just, uh, there's nothing there. I mean, it was just negative Nelly all the way. Then there's the other one who's an optimist who can see that not only is it half full, but I know where to get it filled up at, and I'm sure there's a fountain somewhere where I can fill up this this cup. Uh, But the parents were concerned about how the twins had these extreme reactions of extreme pessimism and extreme optimism. So they went and they talked to their family doctor, and their family doctor said, here's what you do to kind of help temper that a little bit. Rain it in at their next birthday. I want you to not give them the exact same thing. And, of course, they're twins, so their parents were trying to give them the exact same thing and be fair and equal and... So they said, okay, what do we give them? And he said, well, to the pessimist, we want you to give the pessimist just this great, grand, amazing gift. And to the optimist, we want you to give this terrible, horrible gift. Okay, like what? And the doctor says, so go ahead and get the best bike you can possibly get. All the bells, all the whistles, all the, the gears and speeds and shock absorbers, everything. And get that for the one twin who's a pessimist. And then for the one who's an optimist, go ahead and get him a pile of manure. 
And they said, well, okay, we'll see. So at the next birthday, they give them to him, and they open it up, and you already know where it's going, right? And so the, the one twin, the pessimist, looks at it and says, well, you know what's going to probably happen? I'm going to break my leg, and then I won't be able to ride it anymore. And the optimist, the, the, the twin who's an optimist, he looks at it, and he says, Oh, you can't fool me. If there's a pile of manure, there's a pony around here somewhere. And he takes off out the door to go find the pony. Sometimes we have a way of being prophets of our own destiny. And we start to foretell the bad things that are going to happen. And then we become self-fulfilling prophets. Or other times we can prepare and plan for faith and we have, in a way become prophets of our own overcoming and then we look for ways to live out that faith unto overcoming. The second story, again, I don't see any way it's true. You'll understand as I relate it to you. But there were two farmers and these two farmers <clears throat> lived side by side and one just was an optimist, and the other was a pessimist. And so the optimist said, I've got to find a way of encouraging my neighbor. He's always so discouraged and depressed and frustrated. I'm going to figure it out. And so one day he leans across the fence and he says, hey, looks like the sun's going to shine good today. It'll help our crops. And the other neighbor, the other farmer says, yeah, probably so hot, the crops will dry out, shrivel up, it'll be no good. Oh, man, Lord, help me. I've got to encourage my neighbor. Get him to think in a more positive way. And so he looks out and he says, hey, looks like it's going to rain. That'll nourish our crops really well. Oh, it'll probably flood the fields, ruin the crops. Just wait and see. Farmer got a new tractor, showed it to his neighbor, and he says, look at the tractor. I think it'll help. You can use it. It'll help both of us. It'll get the job done. And his neighbor says, I bet it's broke down before you even get the first job underway. I have got to figure out a way to encourage this guy so that he looks on things in a more positive way. So he looks high and low until he finds a very special dog. And come to find out that this dog could walk on water. And so he takes his friend, he's an Arkansas farmer, and so he takes his friend out duck hunting, and sure enough, as soon as they need to go and fetch one of the ducks, he sends his dog, doesn't tell his neighbor, sends the dog, the dog runs across the top of the water, picks up the duck, runs back, nothing's wet on the dog, just the bottom of his paws. And his neighbor says, what do you think of that? Dog can't swim, can he? Here's the reality. In life, we have a way of finding so often what we are looking for, and we are conditioned, in many cases, to look for what is negative and what will fail and what will be destructive to us, and God has a better way. Lord Jesus, we pray that you'll help us to hear your word, and may it speak to us. May it uh, enliven us, Lord, and may we realize that the way of faith is the way of victory. It's the way of transformation. It's the way of hope. Lord, I pray that if anyone in here does not have faith or hope today, that by your word and by your spirit it will be imparted to us. May we pray for it. May we believe for it, Lord, and may we put ourselves out there believing that, Lord, you're going to give to us what is needed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Numbers 13, the Israelites have now left uh, Egypt. They have come across 
Through the Red Sea, that was a pretty amazing miracle, right? So the Red Sea and, and the waters are parted on both sides. Then they come up against the situation where they need water. And so Moses hits the rock and then water comes out from the rock. So they've seen that miracle. Then they've gone to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai and God's come down like a, like a smoke or a cloud. He's also led them through the desert now with um, the flaming uh, glorious blaze of fire in front of them or behind them, protecting them, hemming them in behind and before. So they've seen all of these miracles and now they're getting ready to go into the promised land and God says, okay, send out your spies, scope out the land, come back with a report. He gives that message through Moses. Come back with a report of how we are going to defeat our enemies. So, Numbers 13, let's find out what happens. Look at verse 25, if you've got your Bible open, this is what it says. When they returned from spying out the land, at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are very are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, they, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites. So they're listing all these enemies that are living there. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. Then we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. We became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and we were even like grasshoppers in their sight. That's how bad the situation is. So how, how are they doing in planning for their um, emergency or their crisis or their difficulty? Uh, at this point, not so well. Here's the thing. Um, what we normally say when we think about the bad things that might happen in life and uh, pay attention because we're going to have a little bit of feedback here. You guys are going to give me some answers as well. And we normally say, well, if this happened to me, or if that happened to me, I would, and I've heard all kinds of things, I would have a mental breakdown, I would quit my job and life and move to the beach if XYZ happened to me. If that happened to me, I would go buy a whole tub of ice cream and I'd eat the whole thing all in one setting. Uh, if that happened to me, I would give them a piece of my mind. I would set them straight. All right, so give me an example. What do you say if you think in your mind, if that were to happen to me, X, Y, Z, whatever the trouble thing is you're thinking of, this is what I would do. What are the things that you've thought of? I know you've got answers because we all do. If that happened to me, I would sit down and cry. Good. Somebody else. I've been driving home at the end of a long day before, and uh, 
don't pay any attention to this part, Brad, but um, over, over on the side, there's a police officer, and he's running radar, and I thought to myself, if that happened to me, that would be the worst way to end this horrible day, and I would have to, oh man, I'm, I'm going to have a come apart, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to, and for me, it was Little Debbie, I, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to get a, like a bunch of Little Debbie cakes, and I'm going to eat the whole box. That's how I'm going to cope with this. I'm planning for my, my emergency or my catastrophe of getting a speeding ticket, uh, which I didn't get, but I had this worry in my mind that I was going to have to address it, and Little Debbie's was my answer. So, uh, somebody else, how, how have you said, that's what I'm going to do if I have this catastrophe come? Thank you. I'm going to go shopping. Good. That's a good answer. How many people have said, I'm going to go home and veg out in front of Netflix all night if that happens to me? Yeah. Okay. Oh, very good. God won't give me anything I can't handle. So we're going to turn this towards a direction of faith, right? But, th- but the, re- the reality is, is many times we start where the Israelites did. We're just like, like a grasshopper in, in our own sight. We look puny, pathetic, minuscule. The giants of the circumstance are so big, how can I ever handle it? And um, the reality is, is that oftentimes in life, people are tempted to react in a way that is not of faith, but is of something else instead. So Matthew chapter 6 um, Jesus was at the Sermon on the Mount, and he's sharing with them about what they're supposed to do with those thoughts of what might come in the future, what might come later today, tomorrow, next week. And so he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, about what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And he goes on and he says, By worrying, can you even add one day to your life? Tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Every day has enough worry of its own. And so he says, do not worry. But normally in life, many people are tempted to say, if that were to happen to me, this is what I would do. Matter of fact, if you've ever been in a restaurant or in a public situation where you people watch or you hear the people at the table next to you and they say, well, this is what happened to me at work today. And the person responds, well, you know what I would do if that happened to me? This is exactly what I'd do. I'd march right down into their office and I'd tell them what's what and you can't treat me that way and that's unacceptable and we're not going to stand for that. But it's not necessarily a response of faith. It's not necessarily a response of how Jesus would do it. It would be, well, my gut feeling of how I need to rectify the situation or I need to cope or I need to manage. So, Part number two of the message here, uh, point number two, is that in this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. There's going to be trouble. We know that. It's nothing hidden. It's nothing uh, that that we aren't prepared for, at least in some regard. It's going to be hard. But take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. And I love that. And he doesn't mean I've overcome only the things in the past. And he doesn't mean I've overcome the things in my life or in my world, like when I was in Jerusalem and Galilee, I overcame that. He's saying, I have overcome all of the world, all of the created things of the past, of the present, of the future. I have overcome all circumstances. I've overcome all enemies. I've overcome all principalities. Remember that Scripture says that every single thing, every enemy of his will be put under his feet as a footstool. And remember in the cross, he says, it is finished. 
He doesn't say, well, it's, it's getting there. We're almost there. Maybe we can make it. It is finished. He has won. We've read the end of the story. We know what's going to happen to all of his enemies, and we know what's going to happen to his children and his heirs. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And this is the beginning places of faith instead of fear. He's overcome already. He's won already. There is a, an understanding that anything in this life that has dared to come against God Almighty, well, it's already defeated. Because we know the end of the story. Now, point number three, as Christians, we must decide in advance that when trouble comes, we will live by faith. We need to decide in advance that when trouble comes, we are going to live by faith. The, 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 the often um, reality for many people is that we say, when trouble comes, I'm going to get through it. I'm going to make it to the weekend. I'm going to just kind of do what I have to to get through by the skin of my teeth. But we need to make a decision as Christians. I'm going to respond by faith in the Lord Jesus. So there's another story of Jesus going across the Sea of Galilee and his disciples are with him and the wind and the wave comes up, right? And it's blowing the, the, the boat around and the waves are crashing over and actually coming into the boat and Jesus is asleep on the pillow in the boat. And you remember that they wake him up, Matthew chapter 8, they wake him up and say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? They had not determined ahead of time that they were going to respond in faith. They were responding the way that all non-believers respond. And that is according to what we think, or what we feel, or what we want, instead of according to what he says. Okay, so put this picture in your mind. What I think... What I feel, what I want, over here, what God says, over here. And they are against one another. Galatians chapter 5 says that the way of the flesh is against the way of the Spirit. They're opposed to one another. They're antithetical to one another. So if you're living over here, I want, I think, I feel, you can't simultaneously be living over here. I will do what he says I will do. Because they're at odds with one another. Now, I've thought a lot about that boat and Jesus and the disciples. It's really easy for us to throw stones at the disciples. But I want to ask you, if you were in the boat and the waves were lapping over, remember, there's no electricity, there's no light, there's no CB radio where they're, you know, SOS, Coast Guard, come and rescue me, help, help. So they're just... They're in the boat, the wave's coming, the wind's blowing, and Jesus, the one who could do miracles, he's asleep. Somebody tell me, how would you react if you were one of the disciples? How would you react? Be terrified? Somebody else? Get out of the boat? Yeah, I can do better swimming than I can in this boat. It's going to capsize and take me down with it. Somebody else, how would you react? Wake up, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Lay down next to him. Did you read my sermon? <laughs> hey, did, would it ever occur to any of us 
that if Jesus had so much faith in his Father that he was safe, that we could lay down next to Jesus and say, you know what, I'm going to take a nap, and when I wake up, it's going to be good. I think that we could respond in faith two different ways. Honestly, I think that we could respond in faith and wake him up. They didn't, they didn't wake him up in faith. They woke him up in fear, and there's a difference. But we could wake him up and say, hey, Jesus, there's this, there's this storm brewing, and we know you can handle it, and that's why we woke you up. Because we believe that you could just speak it and it'll be done. And there's a difference between waking him up because we're afraid or waking him up because we have faith. What's your motivation? But I think the other that maybe is a more uh, perfect way of thinking of faith is that we could say, I could, I could get down in the boat, I could lay down, and if Jesus is at complete rest that his Father has handled the situation, I can, I can sleep too. Now, that goes against our, you know, Type A, um, American, you know, upward mobility and all that kind of stuff. Make a plan, work the plan, get the mission statement, get the vision statement. Mission statement, wake up Jesus. Vision statement, live. You know, I mean, we could plan this thing out. But really, in in a real sense, it was faith of saying, okay, I trust you. You trust the Father. The Father's here with us. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. You trust him. I'm going to lay down there and I'm going to sleep. And when I awake, I'll be refreshed and I'll be renewed and ready for the next thing. Do you and I live by faith or do we live according to whatever is whirling and swirling around us? What would it mean to live by faith? Would it mean being able to lay down our worries and say, I'm going to be still and know that God is God and he's on the throne. Now, I'm not saying that that's easy, but I'm saying it's possible because Jesus has set a perfect example and he sent his spirit that he can put in us, the same spirit Jesus had, that would be able to rest in the middle of the struggle. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. If I walked by sight... If you and I walked by sight, we could list all of the things that tell us that America, Arkansas, uh, the, United St- the United States, or the world are in a disastrous situation and it's all going to just self-implode. And it's all going to be destroyed. And we're all going to just ruin ourselves and destroy ourselves if we walked by sight and not by faith. Because when we walk by sight, we can list all of the things that are wrong with the world. I, I have this strange fascination with Discovery Channel. And so they have mega um, tsunamis that they've talked about. And they've talked about mega volcanoes. And that if Yellowstone ever blows, like one-third of the United States population will be gone in like 24 hours. We're just here and gone. If we just go according to what we see and what we think and what we feel over here instead of what God says over here, despair, heartache, and an entire box of little Debbie cakes. But if we're over here and we say, I'm going to go according to what God says and what God reveals and what God, what God declares. So, for instance, I, I absolutely believe that we need to take care of our environment. The scriptures are clear that God has entrusted the care of this world into the hands of his children. He's told us to take care of it. Tend the garden, be fruitful and multiply, watch after the flocks. But at the same time, there's some science in the newspaper and, and the magazines and on the internet that says that because of global warming and polar vortexes and all that, that we're not going to have all of our seasons anymore. That we're going to lose 
winter or we're going to lose summer or we're going to lose and because of all of these things that are happening we just the way the way the world is headed what i think what i see what i feel it's going in a bad way but did you know there's a bible verse in the old testament and a couple of our bible quizzers can probably tell you in genesis somewhere can't tell you the reference but it says that so long as the earth remains, there will be harvest and springtime, and there will be summer and winter. And the scientists can base everything that they know over here and tell us everything they think that's going to happen, but we have a promise from God's word that so long as the earth remains, we will have all four seasons. We should still take care of this earth. We shouldn't neglect it. But we don't live according to see, think, and feel. We live according to faith, and we have to make a decision ahead of time. We walk by faith, not by sight. Point number four. If we don't respond by faith, we will respond by fear, feelings, or some other worldly way of thinking and being. Some other worldly way of thinking and being. Isaiah 7-9, the prophet Isaiah said, Stand firm in your faith or you won't stand at all. If you try to stand kind of halfway in your faith, right? Uh, you know, I kind of believe, I kind of don't. Well, it, it, would, it would be kind of like trying to stand halfway in the boat. One foot in the boat and one foot on the water. You know, well, the boat's going to protect me. Maybe it will. Well, maybe it won't. Well, what's going to happen? We all know. You're going to fall out and hopefully you can swim. You can't live halfway in faith and be able to stand firm at all. You won't stand at all. It has to be that what we do is according to the revelation of God's holy word, because we've read it, as Brandon was encouraging us to do. We've read it, we've meditated on it, we've learned what it says, we've studied it, and then we've prayed about it. God, I read that you said I shouldn't be lying, cheating, or stealing. I need you to forgive me for doing that, and Lord, I ask you to help me to never do that again. Empower me. I read in the Word, God, that you said that I'm not supposed to lust, and I'm not supposed to have idols, and I'm not supposed to waste your money, and I'm supposed to be a wise steward. Lord, forgive me for doing those things in a way that you said I shouldn't, and Lord, empower me to now do it differently. Because if we don't live by faith, we will live by fear or feelings or another worldly way of thinking. So Matthew chapter 5, back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking to them, about how we respond or we react to people, okay? So I'm going to ask you guys for another feedback here. So <clears throat> when somebody, and this, this is kind of confession is good for the soul kind of thing. So when somebody uh, is rude to you, right, and you get bad customer service, when you get cut off, when you get uh, honked at, when you get cussed at or whatever, how do, rather than confessing your own, how do people respond? How do people respond when that happens? Bad customer service, yelled at, cussed at, flicked off. What's that? Negatively, absolutely. Somebody else? Okay. Put up walls and hide. Respond negatively. How else do we respond? We act just like they do. That's not very pretty, is it? When we start acting like, like they do. The mudslinging in politics, the he said, she said. I've seen it on Facebook recently amongst adults 
where they get onto a public Facebook page and they say, do you know what this person has done to me? And do you know this about their son and their daughter and their cousin? And it's neighbors helping neighbors, you know. We're not helping anybody. We're tearing down. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Five, he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who only love you, what reward will you get? Now, you could almost hear some of the disciples saying, Jesus, that's a really hard teaching. Is that even possible? Because they're choosing ahead of time that they're going to respond by faith and not by feelings and not by fear. Not by whether they've been accepted or been rejected, right? So how are we going to respond? I'm going to respond by faith in what God has said and not what the world has said. So it says there, if someone strikes, you don't strike them back. And I'm reminded that in uh, sixth grade in particular, we had a bully problem at my school. I was not the bully. I was the recipient of the bullying. And I came home with bruises. I was punched. I was kicked. Happened multiple times. I remember one time sitting in my chair... And um, about five rows back from the front. And I'm sitting there, and it was one of those teachers doing her thing. Students are supposed to be studying alone or in groups. And the one kid, he just walks over, and he just starts punching me in the shoulder. And he punched me and punched me. I ended up having a bruise about the size of a baseball right there in my shoulder. But between what the Lord had taught me and what my parents had taught me, I actually wasn't tempted to haul off and punch him. I just thought it wasn't even worth the effort or the time. I just raised my hand and let the teacher handle it. It's interesting because I remember that a couple of those students that that hated me in the 6th grade, in the 7th and 8th and ninth grade, they came back to me and they were like, hey, we realized that you're kind of cool. Do you want to come to our party? Now, if I'd have turned around and punched him in the nose, kicked him, you know, done whatever, what kind of, number one, witness would that have been? What kind of obedience would that have been? I would have been operating in the same way that they operated. That's just one example. But, but how do we react? If we don't react by faith, we're going to react in a worldly way. So, point number five this morning, this is what it means to live by faith. When I get bad news, I will respond in faith that God is going to take care of me. When I get bad news, it's going to come. I mean, we're going to have bad news. There's going to be a speeding ticket, going to be a car accident, there's going to be a a leak in the roof at some point, there's going to be a bad diagnosis at the doctor, but to say, I'm going to plan for my emergencies by planning for faith and not fear, I'm going to respond in faith that God is going to take care of me because I am His and He is mine. 
And when I get bad news, I will respond in faith, like Romans 8.28, that God is going to work it all out for good in the end. That if it's not good, it's not over because he's always refining and shaping and making things beautiful and making beauty from ashes. If, if I get a difficult situation or when I get into a difficult situation, I'm going to respond in faith that God is going to lead me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 23. Thank you, Lord, that you are leading me along paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So I'm going to respond according to that and not according to how I feel. But many times we think when bad stuff comes, God, where are you? How come you let this happen? How come you haven't been faithful? We're going to choose the way of faith. God, I know that you're working this for good. I don't know why it came to me this way. I don't know what your plan is. But I believe you're bringing me along paths of righteousness to make me like you. Three more things about what we're going to plan in faith We're going to say, when difficult things come, by faith, I'm going to say, I know God's going to reveal his perfect wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2.12. He's going to reveal his wisdom to us. He's going to show us what needs to be shown and what needs to be known. I'm going to, by faith, believe that God is going to provide what I need. I I just believe you're going to provide what I need. I love the fact that when you look at Jesus' life, there's never a question in Jesus' mind about whether or not his father is going to take care of him. We never once get any hint of Jesus saying, oh God, I just, I hope this time you can get it. It's just flat out, the Father's on the throne. He's got me. I'm his. I'm safe in my Father's arms. Lastly, responding in faith is that I'm going to believe that God is going to offer me grace and continue to love me unconditionally. 1 Peter 5.10 talks about that. He's going to continue to love me. He's going to continue to offer me grace. So this week, how are you going to respond? By faith or in another way? I pray that it will be by faith so you can be victorious. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about choosing ahead of time that we're going to respond by thanksgiving and that we're going to respond in a way of victory and we're going to respond in a way of holiness. Dear Jesus, thank you so very much that you showed us the way of trusting the Father. You showed us the way of walking by faith. Thank you that we know that you have overcome the world and that whatever we face, we can respond in faith, in absolute certainty and unshakableness that you are on the throne and that you will not forsake your beloved. Forgive us, Lord, when we have parted from believing, when we have strayed from trusting. Forgive us, Lord, when we have reacted by way of worldly wisdom or fear or of selfishness. God, I pray that every one of us would make that stand of saying, I will choose faith this week and in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.